He said, go you therefore and teach all nations. And in, in preaching this message, what, uh, what I want to remind us of is to remind us of, first of all, who we are, what God's called us to be, and what the call is for us when we are, are calling out to others and preaching the gospel to them. We're, we're not here just preaching for folks to come and get their sins forgiven. We're preaching for folks to become disciples, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you become a disciple the moment you get saved. If you didn't become a disciple, you didn't get saved, all right? Because the minute that you, that's the nature of this relationship. The nature of this relationship with Christ is that you become his follower, his disciple. And uh, we have become today a church without expectation. People don't think we should have any expectations at all. But I want you to understand that we have a right to expect certain things. We have a right, and, and I, I say maybe not even so much a right as it is, it's reasonable for us to expect certain conduct from Christian people. Yeah. It's reasonable for us to expect certain evidence when someone claims to be saved, right. when someone claims to be a Christian. There are, there are certain expectations that we have, biblical expectations today. As I said, there are no expectations except that you come, you confess Christ, and, and you add Him to your life. But there really is no change expected. There really is no life transforming expected. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just basically kind of another notch on your old gospel gun. But I, I want you to understand that, that there are things that are expected of us. I don't know about you, but when I go out, because if certain things are in place, if, if, the, if the motor's in place and the, and the battery's in place and I turn that switch, I'm expecting to hear a motor turn over. And when that motor turns over, I'm expecting it to start and to crank. And I'm disappointed if it doesn't. And if it doesn't start, I know something's wrong. And I have to start finding where the problem is. And, and again, today we've got to the place that we think that we shouldn't have to expect anything. Or that's asking too much. We've come a, a people of low expectations. We don't expect much from our children. Come on, brother. We don't expect real. Well, that's asking too much of them. That's too hard. They can't expect to be sit still that long. Why not? Who made the rule they couldn't? That's right. Who says they can't? Well, that's too hard for them to do. It's because you just simply don't want to do it yourself. That's what it is. Because we don't want to take the time to build it. But we have low expectations in our children. We have low expectations out of our, our family. We have low expectations out of the ministry. We just have low expectations because, because there's very little perfection, it should seem, in Christianity. But I'm telling you, the more I think about it, I read God's Word. We're not off our rockers when someone tells us they're saved. And I look for certain evidences of that salvation. When someone tells me they're a Christian and I look for things uh, that identify them as a child of God, I'm not being unreasonable. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being critical. I'm being real. Amen. I have a car for a car to run. As, as I said, I turn a switch. I expect it to crank. And when someone says they're a Christian and they got the Spirit of God living in them, I expect certain things out of that person. I'm looking for certain things in their lifestyle. I'm expecting a certain spirit a certain attitude, a certain demeanor, a certain reaction to situations. And if they go wrong, I'm expecting it to be corrected. Right. And if I don't see that, then I don't believe they're a Christian. Right, right. Amen. Right. So 
I, I want us to remind us, and that's what this process and these messages uh, is, is one of my goals, is not just to teach the Word, but to show us we have a right to expect, and this is what we should expect. This is what should be in your life, and it's what we should expect from those who come and give their hearts to Christ. So in this process of discipling, we're talking about the facts of this commission. Go you therefore and teach all nations. And we talked about uh, of the commission itself as, as how that we were to go, an active commission. And we were talking about it being a covenantal commission. And I talked about this covenant relationship with Christ on Sunday morning, I dealt with that and disconnecting it somewhat to the uh, to the the covenant that we have in marriage. We don't talk about this word covenant much, and I'm, it's become a, a biblical term that's become revived in my life even more so recently. And as I study the Word of God, how serious it is. We take our Christianity too lightly. We take our commitments too lightly. We take our our our, our own condition too lightly. And, and sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in things. And, and, and you know how it is when you're drifting. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat and you've been drifting. Let me tell you something, buddy. Uh, time can go by so fast and you can be further from the shore than you think you are. Amen. Do you think you looked and the shore wasn't that far away? And hey, that's all right, I can swim it. But you just let it go for a little while. And before you know it, you'll barely be able to see the shore and you'll begin to panic. Well, how'd I get here? I'll tell you how you got there. You wasn't paying attention. You weren't paying attention to your life. You weren't paying attention to the signs. You weren't paying attention to the processes that were going on in your life. And so this, this idea of being in covenant with Christ, is a, the, the idea of covenant is, is a, a biblical principle. And I talked some about that on Sunday. And I want to I talk about three passages. And I probably not get to all of them tonight. But I want to talk about three passages. I've already mentioned two of them. Uh, actually, four passages that deal with this covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that express what this covenantal relationship is in reference to our discipleship. The first is found in Luke 6 and verse 40. <clears throat> and I want to, <clears throat> excuse me. Let me read verse 39 to begin with. And I, I mentioned this in a previous sermon, but I want to go back to it and deal with it just a little bit more here tonight. Luke 6, please, and verse 39. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Well, they can. That's a question. First question. Can the blind lead the blind? Yes, they can. Not stupid. All right. It's not smart. Uh, but they can do it. It is, it is a possibility. But he's not asking about the possibility so much as he is whether or not that's a good thing. <laughs> whether blind people should be leading blind people. That's not a good thing. And the idea is, is that he said, shall they not both fall into the ditch? If you have a blind man who does not know where he is going, and then he is leading someone, and that man has placed his trust in his leader because he's blind and he can't see, and he's trusting the one that's leading him. And if the leader falls in the ditch, then the one that's following him is going to fall in the ditch also. And Jesus says, the disciple's not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. He, he talks about this idea of a disciple-master relationship. And, and the idea is that the, 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 the follower is going to follow the leader. Now, now Christ is not blind and neither are we. Right. Amen. But we do follow, follow him 
when in that very sense, now there's a, I think two ways we can take this passage. There is that sense that it's pretty silly because what the world is doing is blind people leading blind people. When you're walking in darkness, you've got people living in darkness following others that are living in darkness, and that is the blind leading the blind, and they're both going to fall in the ditch and lose their lives and go to hell. That's the way it is. But Christ's case is not a case of the blind leading the blind. It's a case of the seeing leading the seeing. But what I want you to see, however, is that although that's true about Christ, but what is also true is that we do follow him, not blindly in the sense that we don't see where we're going, although there are times we don't see where we're going and we trust him. We trust his leadership. We don't quite know what's around the next curve. We don't quite know where this road is going to lead, but we do trust the one is leading. And in that sense, there are times we are blinded. There are times we don't see, but we're not following one that is blinded. We're not following one that can't see, but we follow him with this complete trust and confidence. Now, I will tell you that a man that's blind, but he's got to trust somebody. And you can just say what you want to, but a blind man is pretty much at the mercies uh, of those that are around him, very much so. And he's got to, he's got to follow them and put complete confidence that they're going to lead him in the right way. But that is the same kind of confidence we put in Christ. Again, it's not in a, a, some sense of complete blind confidence because we know the character. We know the nature of Christ, and we know he is not blind. Oh, glory. We know that he knows full well where he's going, who he is, and where he's his destiny is and where he wants to take us. God has everything in control and knows exactly where you need to be and when you need to get there. So we trust him in that manner. And I want you to see this idea of the disciple not being above his master. It is in that sense, in a couple of senses, it's that sense that look, whatever, wherever the master leads, that's where you go. You're not above him. All right, you go where he goes. You follow where he leads. Not only that, whatever happens to him, you're not above him. So whatever happens to him happens to you. It's like that situation. And he puts that in context. If the blind lead the blind, both fall in the ditch. So what happened to the leader in that situation, he fell in the ditch. And what happened to the follower is he fell in the ditch. So that, that what happened to the follower ha- or happened to the leader happened to the follower. Understand this, same case with us. What happens to our leader, we can have the same expectation is going to happen to us. If the world hated Christ, they're going to hate you, all right? And if, we, and if he leads us and he arrives at glory, we arrive at glory. If he arrived at resurrection, we will arrive at resurrection. Hallelujah. If he was glorified by Father, we will be glorified by Father. And if the world abused and crucified him, we can expect no better treatment. We're not above Christ. And so whatever transacts... Uh, in the life of the master, you can expect it's coming to you as his follower. There comes this identity with Jesus Christ that we are his disciple and we're in his school and we're going to become his uh, uh, a student following him, perfected in him, and that Christ and whatever happens to him is going to come our way. Now, I want you to notice something here. He becomes... His, uh, our eyes must be kept on him. And I want to take you to a passage that expresses this idea. Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. He talks about everyone that is perfect, that everyone that is prepared, everyone that's brought through the process is to be as his master. So the goal in this following 
of Christ. The expectation is, is you will be treated as Christ is treated. And the goal is, is that you will be what Christ is. You will be what Christ is. Now, I want to look at another verse of Scripture that talks about that. Let's go over to 1 John, please. 1 John and chapter 4. And, and I want you to, I want to read a passage of Scripture that, ex, that expresses this principle and, and some other details with it. As a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you get saved, and this is true individually and it's true corporately as a body of people, if Christ is leading us as individuals, then he will lead us also as a body. Christ is not just looking, and you must see that. Our problem is, is we are so often caught up with our individual pursuits that we disconnect ourselves from the corporate goal of the church. It's just about me getting to heaven or what God is doing in me, and that's all needful. I want you to go to heaven, and God is working on you, but he's working on you not just with an eye of a personal relationship with you, but also how you fit in the entire scheme of things. Where do you fit in God's economy? Where do you fit in God's social system? Where do you fit in God's eternal kingdom? What is going to be your role and your input? And, and, and so God is preparing you in this process. He is making you like Christ because that's the character he wants. Christ is the model. Christ is the master. And he is uh, putting you in a process and completing you as a member so that he can perfect the entire body. Amen. Now, what I want you to see about that is that there is in this business of being a disciple, there is a process going on in us always. And if it's not going on, you're not a disciple. Or something's wrong somewhere. You're backing up. You're rebellion. You're in rebellion against God. And this process has got to be going on. Now let's, let's look at it a little bit. First John chapter 4 and verse 16. <clears throat> and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now can I tell you that the world's attitude has not changed toward Christ. Just because he ascended did not make them change their opinion of him. They still hate him. And I'll tell you, if he came right now, they'd still crucify him if they could. Yes, sir. If Christ came right now to this earth, and it was his first coming in this generation. And he wasn't coming in power and glory. He was coming again to be born in a city. In this world, I'm going to tell you something. He would be executed by the populace. He would be, just, he would be killed. Because the world's attitude hasn't changed towards Christ. Now, that was the idea in Luke 6 and 40. The disciples not above the master. Everyone that's perfect shall be as the master. And he says here, John says... As he is, so are we in this world. There's three things I want to take out of this verse, these two verses of Scripture. Number one, as he is, that statement in itself, we don't think of ourselves that way. As he is, so are we in this world. I want you to notice the tense of that. It's not as he was, so are we in this world. It's as he is. Christ hasn't changed. 
His nature hasn't changed. His desires hasn't changed. His obedience hasn't changed. His submission hasn't changed. His humility hasn't changed. His glory hasn't changed. His greatness hasn't changed. His kindness hasn't changed. His power hasn't changed. There is nothing about Christ in reference to his nature, in reference to his desires, in reference to his goals. None of that has changed. Now, of course, he has a glorified body. I understand there's been a physical change there and that he has a glorified body. Nothing's ever changed in his deity. It's always been the same as it was from the beginning. But in reference to his humanity, the only thing that's changed is relative to him receiving a glorified body and, and, and of course, as the God-man, being placed at the right hand of God and having all authority. But other than his desires and his demeanor and his character, all of that stays and remains as it has been, as Christ is. He's not dead. He's alive. Woo, glory to God. We're not trying to imitate a historical Christ. We're not trying to just read the Bible and what it talks about, a Christ that lived 2,000 years ago, and we read the story of his life, and then we try to apply that to where we're at. That's not the way it is. We're in a covenant relationship, and we're in a relationship with somebody who's alive. Glory. He lives, and as he is, his nature, his character is still the same, and as he is, so are we in this world. That is a statement made about every Christian. It's not as he is, so are the mature in this world. If you're saved, you're in that statement. If you are a newborn Christian, that includes you. So that means that therefore, to be as Christ is in this world, we understand there are stages there's a process. We'll talk about it. There's a perfection. There's a growth that takes place in Christ. But right now, where you at, if you're saved, you ought to be conscious that as he is, so are you in this world. And what does that mean? It means, and there's some things he mentions, well, about as he is. Let's just look at a couple of verses. Uh, I'll just mention three of them in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is, in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, he's been talking about this fellowship. If you notice back in verse or chapter 1 of 1 John and verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, John is talking about a fellowship on two levels. He's talking about a fellowship, a vertical fellowship between him or between the apostles and between God and then a fellowship on a horizontal level between the apostles and between the fellow brethren that are in Jesus Christ. So John says... We are preaching this gospel message. We're bringing to you the message of Jesus Christ, that God is a light. He talked about uh, uh, this message and what it was in verse 5. He talks about this message. And John said the things we've seen and the things we've heard, we declare them unto you. Remember when they said that back in the book of Acts when, when they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus and they said we cannot speak but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And John says that here. What we've seen and what we heard, we are telling you. And he said, but we're not telling you this uh, just so we can entertain you. We're not telling you this just so you can learn 
learn about what we are. We're not telling you about this to acquaint you with our culture and with our ways. We're telling you about this to bring you into fellowship. Oh, glory. We're telling you about this so you can come into union and harmony with God, first of all, and secondly with us. Oh, that's a dual level. We'll hit that in a little bit later. But there is this idea that they are conscious and aware of the fact that they are a company of disciples and they are walking with God. They are walking with God. And John comes on to say, he says, if we walk in the light, in verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So he said, I'm preaching to you to get this fellowship. But if you want it, you're going to have to walk in light because that's where he is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He walks in light. Go back to Luke chapter 6 and 40. Again, the blind leading the blind. They're walking in darkness. Uh, We're not walking in darkness. We're walking in light. Our leader is not blind. Hallelujah. Our leader lives in light. Uh, And if you're going to follow Christ, you've got to walk in light. That means we are not a bunch of imbeciles. Uh, We're not a bunch of ignoramuses. Uh, We are not. When we talk about heaven, when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about the Holy Ghost, when we talk about the power of God, we're not just espousing some religious jargon. We are talking about reality. We're talking about something that's true. We're talking about something that's real. And we know it by experience. Woo, glory. I mean, it's like trying to come and tell me that Holy Ghost isn't real. You're too late, bud. Sorry, but you're too late. Ah, you messed up speaking in tongues, and that's all the devil. Let me tell you something. I've been acquainted with the devil. I've had to deal with the devil on several occasions and I can tell you what I got from God when he filled me with the Holy Ghost didn't come from the devil. I can promise you that right now. I know the difference between good and evil. I've felt the spirit of evil and I have felt the spirit of good. I have felt the Holy Ghost and I have seen the unholy one and felt that presence of evil and darkness. You come too late to tell me that it's not of God. I know it's real because I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. And he said, we have fellowship. And if there was any sin, he takes care of that. That's what he said. He said, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Glory to God. Now, that's a a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. Couple it with verse 9. If we confess our sins... He has said in verse 8, if you say you have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is, if you say that you uh, uh, have not been in darkness and that uh, you, you don't have any need of salvation, you don't have any need of pardon, you don't have any need of cleansing in your life, well, you're just still in the darkness. You're blind as a bat. John dealt with that in his gospel. Jesus said he came to make the seeing blind, to make the blind see. That's essentially what he told. He came basically to close seeing eyes, and he came to open blinded eyes. A seeing eye is an eye that basically says this, I already see. You can't tell me anything. I understand it. I got it down pat. I perceive it. I have already know what I'm doing. And, and, and they, they believe that they are and are convinced that they already know how things are. They see the truth, or at least according to their, their perspective, and that they see it. So you know what? If a man sees, it's like you coming to me and telling me, Brother Woods, you're blind physically. I don't think so. I can see. 
Well, there are, spiritually speaking, there are people that are in darkness, but they think they see. The Pharisees, they were already believed themselves to be seeing. They believed themselves to have it down pat. They believed themselves to have it right and that they believed that they were living and doing it the right way. And so they would not accept the teachings of Christ. They would not receive the teachings of Christ because they already considered themselves to be righteous. They already considered themselves to be a seeing people. And so Christ in preaching the word to them, they would have to reject the truth. They would have to reject the light that he brings. And when he, they do that, they have to close their eyes against the truth and it hardens their heart and it blinds them even further. But those who are blind, he comes to them and they, they know they need help. They know they're in darkness. They know they can't see where they're going. They know they need somebody to lift them up. And he comes and he brings light and they receive that light and he lifts them out of their sin, glory to God, and sets them on the right path. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a powerful statement right there. You see, sometimes huh, none of us, we, when we first come to Christ, and, and even now when we come and, and, and there we, we confessed our sins to the Lord and, and we initially came to this light, there is no way in the world you could confess every sin you committed. You don't even remember them all. You don't even know them all. Now, there's plenty you know. There's enough that you confess. But he says if we confess our sins... He forgives you from those sins that you confess. Yes. But he goes even further and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Yes. <laughs> Glory yes. to the Lamb of God. He doesn't just cleanse you from confessed sin. If the heart is whole, if the heart is perfect, if the heart is toward him confesses, glory, and the heart is open, and it's confessed what it knows, and it lays the heart out before God and says, forgive me, Lord, of what I've done. I'm telling you, he doesn't just cleanse you of what you confess. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness in your life because he ain't going to walk with sin. Oh, glory. And when you get saved, I'm telling you, he gets rid of the sin instantly. If you come to God and say, I don't don't need God. I don't need to be saved. I can walk with God and I'm good. No, you're a liar. You're the truth that's not in you. But if you fall down and confess it, if you fall down and say, I need God. I need him to save me. I need him to cleanse me. And you confess the sins that you come to your mind and the sins that you know. I'm telling you, he'll not just cleanse you from what you confess. He'll wash it all out. He'll cleanse every bit of sin out so you can walk with him in the light. He is in light, and as he is, so are we. He walks in light, we walk in light. We are not people going around just espousing some philosophy. We know he's coming again. We know he saves. We know there's a heaven. We know there's a hell. We know that there's a God that is righteous. We know there's a triune God. We know that the king is going to come back to earth again. These are not maybe souls. They're no souls because we live in light. The Christian perspective is the only true perspective because they are the only people who are living in light. Amen. Everyone outside of Christ is in darkness. Everyone. I don't care who they are, where they're born, where they come from, they're in darkness. Only those that know him are walking in light. I mentioned again in chapter um, 2, and verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, 
You know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. He mentions it again in verse 7 of chapter 3. I'm in 1 John. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. As he is, so are we in this world. He is in the light. We have fellowship with him. We are walking in that same light. Oh, my. The same way that God sees is how we see it. And that's a true way to see it. Amen. How God's perspective is our perspective. His thoughts have become our thoughts. His ways have become our ways. And we live in that light. And then he talks about it. I want you to notice the emphasis in that verse. Now I'm going to come back to this passage in a subsequent message in 1 John chapter 3. You may want to familiarize yourself with it. Probably maybe be in a, a week or so, a week from tonight, I'll be dealing with it again. But he says, he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. I like that. <clears throat> Whoever, <clears throat> no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness, and he mentioned it back in uh, verse 29 of chapter 2. He that is right, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So he talks about those that are born of God, and those that are born of God do what is right. I love that. Maybe that don't mean so much to you, but it did to me because we live in a church world that only emphasizes legal righteousness, imputed righteousness. What is imputed righteousness? That imputed righteousness is the righteousness that the justification is a biblical term that you and I receive whenever God accepts Christ's sacrifice for our sins so that his righteous act that he did on Calvary, the righteous offering that Jesus made under the Father was sufficient to atone for our sin. And so therefore, God can now justify us. God can now bring us to a place of innocence. God can make us so that we are righteous in his sight. He looks at us and no longer imputes sin to us. When we get saved, when he forgives us, he looks at us and basically says he is no longer a sinner. Every act of sin that he has committed against me is now paid for and taken away. He no longer stands before me as a sinner. He stands before me as a saint. He is no longer a criminal. He is an innocent man. He is no longer dead to me. He is alive to me. He is no longer my enemy. He has become my friend. He is no longer a child of wrath. He's a child of love. He is no longer a son of Satan. He is the son of God Almighty. And he comes and he belongs unto me now. And you stand justified. That's a righteousness that has nothing nothing to do with your action. It has nothing to do that you can't produce it. It's not anything to do with some act or deed that you do. It's not anything you receive on the basis of some good uh, a deed that you committed in the name of God. None of that. It's simply by faith and repentance and God takes and receives the righteous sacrifice of Christ and thereby is able to pardon your sin. That happens at conversion. But I'm telling you there's another righteousness and that righteousness is that uh, which he puts in your heart when he transforms your character when you become born of God and you get a new heart and he writes that law in your heart he didn't say in this verse uh, everybody that receives imputed righteousness is born he said everybody that does righteous 
That's what he said. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Christ is righteous by his nature. Christ is righteous by his being and he is doing what is right right now. He is not living in sin. He is doing right deeds. He is doing right things. He's making right decisions. He is following yet Father's plan and doing the right thing. And if we are as he is in this world, then we can expect that a child of God is going to do what is right. He's not just receiving what's right. He's going to do what is right. This verse does not emphasize a forensic or legal imputed righteousness. It emphasizes a practical righteousness of doing and living. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Christ didn't save you for you to walk in sin. Now, we're going to deal with that more a little bit later. But I want you to see again, as he is, so are we in this world. Then he mentions another verse. It's down in, in chapter 3, verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Christ is pure. He is pure. He is in the light. He is righteous. He is pure. This idea of purifying ourselves is, uh, is an idea of more merely than just cleansing from sin. It goes beyond that idea of just a cleansing from sin. And it is the idea of a purifying of the heart that gets out every, every competitor that takes a divided heart and makes it whole. It takes a double-minded man and makes him single-minded. It takes a man that wavers in his faith and makes him solid. You can have and dig in the earth and you can get out and say, I got a lump of gold here. But most likely when you got it out of the earth, it's not pure gold. It'll have to go to the fire. You can say, I got a lump of gold. But you're going to take that gold and you're going to purify it. And by purifying it, you're going to put it in the fire so that when you get down, it's unmixed. There's no mixture in it. There's no other foreign metals or alloys or, 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 or substances that are foreign to what gold is so that when it comes out, it's not just going to be a hunk of gold. It's going to be pure gold because it's been purified. And that's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be distracted. He wants you to be focused on him. He doesn't want your love for him to be divided. He doesn't want you to feel pulled by the world and pulled by him at the same time. He doesn't want you to feel like there's a competition for your love. He wants you wholeheartedly devoted unto him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God purifies our hearts in the sense that he makes us so that we are single-hearted towards him and devoted. That, that is that idea of a single eye. There's no division. The focus is clear. I don't know about you, but I see things more clearer today than I did when God saved me. The day God saved me, I saw I was in light, but my vision was still limited. But the more that I've walked with him, the more that I've lived in that light, I will tell you the vision hasn't got dimmer, it's got brighter. The perspective hasn't got more narrower, it's got greater. Oh, glory. And I can tell you, I see things more clearly today than I saw them years ago. There were things years ago I probably would have called them good, and today I'd call them bad. There were things maybe years ago I'd have called bad, now I would call them good, because that's what he does. He purifies. He gets rid of the mixture and the light becomes richer and brighter and brighter and brighter and you can see clearer and clearer and clearer. 
as he is, so are we in this world. You are so connected to Christ. You are his visible expression in this earth. Now, I cannot tell the world, and it's not proper for me to say I am Christ, because I am not. That would be a mistaken identity. And yet, and yet the Bible calls us the body of Christ. There is such a union between us and him that all he's doing is working and revealing himself to this world through us. You wonder why the world's got a perverted view of Christ? It's because that's how the church world has portrayed him. And there's no other vehicle through which he can be seen. And if we don't portray and realize that as he is, so are we. That we need to say that and understand that. That you and I are that visible expression. Take what Christ is right now. That's what we are. Oh, glory. That nature, that righteousness, that purity, that light is to be demonstrated in our life right now so that it can be seen. The world doesn't see him. The world can't peer into the heavens. The world, Christ is not walking on this earth as he did so that they could see him then. You could, you could listen. You could watch his life. You could see how he responded. But the world can't see how Jesus responds now because they don't see him. And yet he is visible. He is visible in us. Glory to God. That's what discipleship is all about about for you and I. It is about you and I being the visible expression of Christ in this world so that he is manifesting himself unto this world through your life. Right. Amen. Don't take this excuse. Well, you know, that's just the way I am. You're a Christ representative. And if we are low, then the vision of Christ is low. As he is, so are we. Now let's look at this. What does this produce in us? Go back to that passage in chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As he is, so are we in this world. I want you to think on that. It's just a powerful statement. But how, what does this produce in us? Herein is our love made perfect. He said that we may have boldness. In the, when? In the day of judgment, right? That we may have boldness in the day of of judgment. How can we have this boldness? Because as he is, so are we in the world. I'm going to just finish up some things here and I'm trying to put this together for you tonight. What is this boldness? In the day of judgment, there will come a day. There will come a day. It could be a whole lot sooner than you think. When you will have to look in the face of the Christ that you've sung about, that you've talked about, that you've prayed to, that you identified with, that you're going to see him face to face. And when you see him face to face, he's not going to be your entertainer, he's going to be your judge. Right. He's your Lord. Yes. Will you be able to look him in the eye with expectation? with delight, with the sense of I've been true. 
I've been faithful. Have you ever had a child? Anybody, doesn't matter who it is. You ever seen what our tendency is that when we have to meet somebody and we know we haven't done or met the expectations? The head droops. I don't want to go face him. I don't want to go talk to him. The child who knows to disobey, I don't want to tell daddy. I don't want to tell mama what I've done. The shame. Because you know that that's your judge. Yes, that's your daddy that loves you, but that's also your authoritarian. That's also your judge. And you know when you face him, you're having to face someone that's faithful and you've been unfaithful. Oh, my. And there's a timidity. There's a fear. There's a trembling. There's no boldness. There's no sense of courage. There's no sense of, of, of calmness. There's no sense of justice. It's a sense that I'm wrong and I'm ashamed. <laughs> There's coming a day we're going to have to face him. And you don't want to face him in shame. You don't want to face him hanging your head. You don't want to face him re with regrets. You don't want to face him wishing you'd have done different. You don't want to face him wishing you hadn't done it the way you did. You want to be able to face him knowing you've come through the processes. You've been the disciple. Glory to God. You have walked into life. You've been righteous as he is righteous. Pure as he is pure. You've allowed him to have full sway in your life. And when you, when you failed, you immediately returned back to the Lord your God. And so that when you meet him, you meet him in confidence. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. If you're as he is, if there's a oneness of spirit, if there's a oneness of heart, then when you meet him, you can look him in the eye without shame. You can look him in the eye without regrets. And that's what we need when we see Jesus. We want boldness in the day of judgment. How do you get that? How do you get that? He talked about it in verse 16. And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. How is your love made perfect? When you dwell in God and God dwells in you. Notice, herein is our love made perfect. And he goes on to talk about as he is, so are we of this world. That's what Luke was talking about. He that is perfect shall be as his master. He that's perfect shall be as his master. From the day you get saved, the day you get saved, you're as Christ-like as he can make you on that day. The very, in the very second that you convert to Christ and he transformed your life, in that moment you are as much like Christ as he can possibly make you. On that day. As he is. So are you in this world. But you in that moment. Become his disciple. And life. Must from there on. Go forward. And it has a process. And that process. Is that you are ever walking. With him. Christ is ever moving. He's not sitting still. He's leading. He's going. He's directing. He's got a destiny. He's got a cause. He has a purpose. He has a job. 
He's going to accomplish something in your life. He's taking you somewhere. He's working in you. He's making you. And if you don't stay with him, and if you don't dwell with him, if you don't walk in the light as he is in the light, if you don't do righteous as he is righteous, if you don't purify yourself as he is pure, if you don't allow him to have full sway and so that you follow his lead and you listen to his voice and you keep him ever as front and center, then you are liable to get off track. You're liable to follow another spirit. You're liable to follow another voice. You're liable to go another direction. And if you do, you're going to lose out, my friend, and you're going to go the wrong way. But I'm going to tell you something. You should be conscious in your life of growth. You should be conscious in your life that you are today more like Christ than you was when he saved you. That there is more of Christ in you. There should be in you a constant process of transformation that is going on. Until you die. That's critical. I'm just going to close it right here tonight. How many of us are aware that there's been an influence, that there is a person, there is a presence in our life that is constantly molding? How is that happening? How's that happen on a practical level? On a practical level, well, I'll tell you something. One of the ways is, is he does it is just through the teaching of God's Word. Get in the church, you better don't slack, get your heart burnt. Or you just, you're at a certain point and you need to grow. And if the pulpit's growing, teaches a message, and all of a sudden it, it, it speaks to you where you're at and you grow. And you t- that's what I need. I've got to have that. I've got to push for that. I've got to get that in me. And so you reach out for it. And as you reach out for it and, and you ask God to do it in you, then he begins to organize your, and engineer your circumstances and he puts pressure on your life. So you see your need and you cry out. And you, in, the, in the time of need, you cry out and he transforms you. As you behold him and you say, I need that love, he'll fill you up with that love. As you, as you see your need for, for discipline and patience, he'll, he'll push your life into places and into corners where you feel the pressure being put on you and you reach out for it. To you, you thought it was just a little bit of sickness. To you, you thought it was just a little bit of weakness. To you, you thought it was just a little bit of normal course that came along. But I'm telling you what God was trying to do is trying to show you there's something here that's lacking. There's something in your life that you need to do. I need you to make adjustments and I'm putting you in this place of weakness so you will cry out so you will see what needs to be adjusted in your life and he does that there are times you're just there and you're talking you're doing and the spirit of God just speaks that's not what you need to do sometimes you're just there, there's just all of a sudden you realize you've got cantankerous you, 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 you've just got all kind of all kind of uh, 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 cranked up if you will and you're all crankety and, 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 uh, and just kind of irritable and, and so you, you're just responding you got up and your, your, your feelings were on the wrong side you, you can't even explain it you just feel kind of rotten and and, and without thinking, you just kind of let that rottenness in your in your feeling and how you felt in your body begins to affect how you respond and how you how you talk to others. And, and God shows you how that. Hey, wait a minute! You, you're, you're more apt to follow your feelings than you think you are. And you have to. He, when He shows you that, you begin to watch for it. And then the next time you get up feeling all kind of crankety and all kind of irritable, you you just say, Hey, I'm going to watch this right here now. I'm going to be careful, and I'm going to ask God to help me and give me. Yeah. 
strength. I can't tell you how many times uh, that I've had to go in and, and said, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. I know here's a situation that I, I, I'm tempted to get angry. I'm tempted, Lord, to fuss. I don't want to do that. I need you to help me. I need you to show me. I'm telling you, he has not one time ever failed to leave me. And all that has happened in my life to bring me where I'm at hasn't happened because I got older. It hasn't happened because my culture has changed me. It hasn't happened because those around me have changed me. It's happened because there's a master that lives in my life who is guiding and pushing and pressing. He's putting you through the press. He puts you in, on the potter's wheel and he molds you and he makes you again and again and he transforms your life. If you're as rotten, as irritable as you was 10 years ago, I got to wonder if you're saved. Because Christ's people are always progressing. They're always being transformed. They're as he is in this world, and he is ever seeking to show more of him through them. The disciple is not above the master. He that's perfect shall be as the master. You've got to see that. I want you to take that home with you tonight. And I want you to just examine your life a little bit. How have I grown? Do I have a greater humility? Do I have a greater faith? Do I have a greater temperance? Do I have a greater self-control? Do I have a greater prayer life? Hello? Do I have a greater closeness? Am I more sensitive towards evil and good? Am I more discerning? Am I more faithful? Or am I still struggling and up and down in my experience? If you're still up and down, you're not in the process somewhere. You're struggling. And if you don't get it surrendered, you're going to lose it. God's people are changing. In the school of Christ, you don't ever reach a place where you graduate and have it all down. You move from one grade to another grade. And you get done with 12th, there's 13. You get done with 13, there's 14. You get done with 14, there's 15. You get done with 15, there's 16. 16, there's 17. And it's always going forth. The humility, the meekness, the lowliness can grow. Do you have a, a greater sense of peace about yourself? A greater sense of security? That you don't have to be constantly affirmed in who you are. You don't have to constantly have someone pat you on the back. You don't have to have constantly have someone tell you you're doing a good job. Newborn Christians need that. Newborn Christians need that confirmation. They need that pat on the back. They need that encouragement. 20-year-old saints ought to have to have that. Someone shouldn't have to tell you when you've been in Christ for 20 years, hey now. You need to make sure you keep praying. Hey, now, you need to be faithful. Come on, folks. That shouldn't be necessary right. after being in Christ. Right. We should have already grown beyond those basics. Right. Yeah. Amen. That shouldn't, should never bother us. If the preacher gets up and preaches on basic things, we ought to shout the highest. If right. we've been any right. length of time and maturity in Christ, we ought to shout the highest in the church. But if there's been no growth, if anger still masters the life, if lust still, still seems to creep in and master the life, there's been a failure somewhere in the processes uh, because Christ wants to grow you. Right. Amen. Ooh, glory to the Amen. Lamb of God. Amen. Christ wants to grow you. Amen. 